0: Grab a seat, and grab your Bible, and turn with me, church, to the New Testament book of Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We'll be there here in just a moment. Today, last day in this brief little series called I Love My... What's that word, everybody? Church. By the way, does anyone love their church? By the way... If you are a part of the family of God, the church is called the bride of Christ, meaning the spouse of Jesus. Quick question, men, how many of you would have issue with someone if they said, I like you, but I don't like your bride? The church is the bride of Christ. So let's try this again. How many of you love the church? Yay, good answer. You're like, oh yeah, (laughs) yes, Jesus, I love her. I love my church. And we've been looking at who the church is, what the church is called to, because here's the reality. Too many people, both outside these walls and inside these walls, don't really know what the church is. In fact, if you were to ask a random person on the street or a friend at the supermarket or a coworker or fellow student, and you ask them the question, What do you think of? When you think of the church, you know what they would say, don't you? So many of them would automatically say, Well, the church is a building. Or they say the church is a hierarchy, or the church is a liturgy, or a system, or it is a group of people who control other people. They would have all sorts of answers to that question, but that is not what the church is. In fact, the church, we know, is not a place. Because the word church comes from this Greek word, ekklesia. Let's all say this together. You ready? Ekklesia. And ecclesia simply means the called out people of God. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, you'll notice that it it is the group of people that God has called out from darkness, called up from death into life, called out of their sin into salvation. It's the called out people of God, now this is so important, empowered by God's very presence, His Holy Spirit. On mission to change the world. That is what the church is. In other words, we've said this every week, but I don't want you to miss this. The church is a people. It is not a place. This building is not the church. So in the morning when you wake up and people say, where are you going? You could say, I'm going to the church's building, but I'm not going to the church building. For this church is not the space, but you are are the church. We are the church. And that changes everything on how we live and how we view ourselves. And by the way, those of you who are bored with church, the issue is not the building. The issue is that we don't understand who we are and what God has called us into. And so each week we've been looking at pictures, metaphors from Scripture, describing for us who we are. So let's just take a trip down memory lane. Two weeks ago we said that the church is the bride of Christ. This means that you, as a part of God's church, you are loved, you are cared for, you have the rights of being called the bride of Christ, meaning whatever is his is now yours. You are special in a way that even my words and our thoughts will never elevate us to that level but you are the bride of Christ, meaning God loves you. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He loves you so much. The second one last week we said is that the church is a body, that we're made up of many different parts, many different roles, many different things that we do, but together we are the body of Christ, and Jesus is the head, meaning he loves his bride, but he leads his church, his body. And there's so many other pictures. I wish we had time. If we had time, I would, I would tell you that you are part of the beautiful temple of God, that the church is the temple of God. First Peter 2 says that we're like stones, these living blocks that are being built together into this beautiful structure that spans the globe. You understand, in the ancient world, a temple was the space where the gods or God resided. It was the space where heaven and earth meet. So in the garden of eden god creates the garden and that is the space where he inhabits with adam and eve the first man and the first woman in other words the earth was to be the temple of god but then we messed it up and that was broken and so then in the old testament the people of god said how do we know you're with us and he says make a tabernacle make a space and that will be my temple where heaven and earth come And then he says, now make a physical temple once you move into the land of Israel, and that will be where heaven and earth are clearly visible. But in the New Testament, we're told that the church is not a space or a place. The church is the living, breathing temple, meaning if someone wants to see heaven on earth, they have no farther to look than you. You are the beautiful temple of God. If I had time, I would tell you not only that you're a bride and you're the body and a beautiful temple, but you're also part of his really, 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 really big family. The family of God is another picture. In Ephesians 2, 19, we're told that we are members of this family of God with God as our father, Jesus tells us when he says, this is how you pray. You pray our Father. And Jesus is our big brother, Hebrews tells us. And not only that is God your father and Jesus is your brother, but like any great family, when we come together, we have a meal. We just took it. It's called communion, where we remember what our daddy did and what our big brother is up to and how he's living and working and breathing through us. It's a meal. And the church, when we gather, we don't simply eat a meal. But we, like a lot of great families, we pull out the family photo album. We call it the scriptures. And we look at what God has done and what God may choose to do in our day and age. We are the bride, the body, the beautiful temple, and the really big family. But here's the big question. Why are we here? Why are is the church here? Now, I'm not saying, why are you in this room this morning? I think I know the answer. You're here for a number of, one of a few reasons. Number one, you're here because you want to be here. Number two, you're here because you feel like you have to be here. And some of you are here because you were tricked into being here. A friend said, come to church with me. I'll take you to breakfast. I've said this before. You hopped in the car. They locked the door, threw a twinkie at you and said, enjoy, as they brought you to church. So some of you are here because you want to, others because you feel like you need to, still others because you're kind of brought by a friend, and there are some in here this morning you don't even know why you're here. You showed up, you saw the building, you saw the sign, you saw a flyer, you heard something from someone in this church, and there was something that said, you need to be here. Let me tell you, that wasn't just a whisper in your own mind, that was the Spirit of God saying, you need to take your next step, you are here on purpose, But that's not what I'm saying. Why are you here? Here's what I'm asking. Why are we here, not in this room, but why are we on earth as the church? See, a lot of Christians have this faulty notion that to be a Christian and the goal of following Jesus is only that I get me, myself, and I to heaven. As though following Jesus is simply fire insurance for tomorrow. I don't want to go to hell. I heard about it at church camp. And they said, if you want to be with mommy and daddy in heaven, you need to get baptized. I said, okay. And that's what ha- Some of us, that's our view. That is not why you're still here. The reason you're still here, because think about it, think about it. If your only job was to get to heaven yourself, why did God not simply beam you up like in Star Trek the moment you were saved? It's because you have a mission. And I have a mission. And in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is going to say, hey, my beautiful bride, my body, my temple, my people, my family, here's your mission. And I'm going to tell you, the stakes are so high and consequences so big. If we get this wrong, eternity hangs in the balance This is what Jesus says. This is in Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. I'm going to kind of breeze through this. I want to get to one verse, but here's how it begins. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, that was in the northern part of Israel, he asked his disciples with whom he had brought with him. These are his closest comrades and followers. He asks them, who do people say the son of man is? That's simply an Old Testament name that Jesus uses to describe himself, sort of like a nickname. He then, they reply, some say, Jesus, that you're John the Baptist. Others say, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. In other words, people don't really know who you are, but they got some weird ideas about you. By the way, do you know that our culture has heard about Jesus, but has a lot of weird ideas about Jesus? They said, and then Jesus asks a more important question. He doesn't say, okay, what about others? He says, but what about you, my followers? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter, one of Jesus' closest buddies, answered, You are the Christ. By the way, Christ is not Jesus' last name. This past week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, my son came home from school and had a conversation with one of his little buddies at school, and and his little buddy was explaining to my son that Christ is Jesus' last name, and Stephen's like, No, I don't think that's how that works. Christ is not his last name. It is a title, meaning he is the chosen one of God, the king of kings, the liberator, the sustainer, the saver of mankind. He's the chosen one of God. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Peter. By the way, that's just another way of saying, Attaboy, you got it. And he says, And on this rock, what's the rock? He's talking about the confession Peter just made on the confession that I am the Messiah, the Son of God. Based on that truth, that rock solid, never changing, always stable, foundational truth, I will build my church. My called out people, my ecclesia. In fact, this morning we saw someone who came into the church who is now part of the family of God, who is now the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, part of the temple because of the rock, the confession. Did you hear, Mitch, do you believe Jesus is the son of God? Yes. And on that rock, the church grew this morning. That's who you are. But now, this last little line, he's going to give you yours and mine. This is our mission statement. And it hasn't changed one iota in 2,000 years. And it will not change one iota for another 2,000, 10,000, million years until Jesus returns. He says these words. You are my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. The gates of hell. Real quick, I want you to know what your mission is. This is a big, bold mission. Jesus is saying, we've got a job to do. And the stakes are bigger than you can imagine. It's not about showing up on Sunday. It's about showing up in your life on Monday. Because the gates of hell are out there and God wants all to come know him. I want you to notice two things about this little word, hell. The first thing you need to know is that it's the place of the dead. Hell, that word actually, the Greek word is Hades, which simply refers to the place of the dead, where those who are not alive reside. In other words, Jesus is saying that this world by sin is one giant cemetery. It is the realm of the dead, and there's only two options. Either you are in the church, meaning you've been raised from the dead, or you are still dead. And this this clarifies things so much for me, that when I interact with people who do not live as I think they ought, I can't expect dead people to live like alive people. And what dead people need is not a self-help class. What dead people need is not fundamentally a better way to manage their marriage or their finances or their children, although those things are important, don't get me wrong, But the thing underneath all of those is dead people need resurrection. That if they remain dead, then it doesn't matter if you teach them how to live. They have no ability to live fully. The dead need resurrection. And Jesus says, you're either alive or you're dead. There's only two options, two destinations. In fact, here's the way to think of it. It's almost as though Jesus is saying, if you took a piece of mail, put it in an envelope... And if this represented you and your soul, and someone wrote the address of where it is going, would it be with him or would it be in hell? Those are the two options. Everyone you meet when you leave today, the barista at Starbucks, the waitress at the restaurant, the neighbor mowing their grass, the friend playing in the park, The guy on the treadmill at the gym, every person you and I meet are destined right now for eternity with God or eternity separated from God. And he says, you and I have a mission that is time sensitive. We do not have time to mess around or delay because hell awaits those who do not know Jesus. Do you believe that, church? If you don't believe it, you will never, ever, ever live on mission. But if you do believe it, Then not even hell itself will keep you from living on mission, for you will know the consequences. The first thing is that hell is the place of the dead, but the other thing is hell is the place of the devil. It's not simply that people are dead, it's that they are enslaved, they are trapped, that there, there is a force that is actively against us. It's not simply do we go and do we communicate the goodness of Jesus and try to bring people salvation, but we are against an opposing force, the devil, the devil. He is the prince of darkness, meaning people, if they're enthralled by him, they are stuck in darkness. They don't know which way to go. Don't get frustrated with your friends because they don't know the way to live. They're in darkness if they're outside of Jesus. He is also the prince of lies, the father of lies. His very native tongue is lying. In other words, the truth of Jesus is necessary. You can't simply show people with your life the truth. You must convey it with your words. It's a place of darkness. It's the place of death and the devil. But here's the great news. Do you notice this next slide? It says the gates of hell. Now listen, I'm not a real smart guy. And some of you are going, yep, I know that. But the gates, last time I checked, gates don't move. Gates don't attack you. Gates are defensive in nature. In other words, Jesus says his church is on the move against hell and the best it can do is try to batten down the hatches, wall Agents of light attack the gates. Do you understand what this says? That church, you and I, fundamentally, we are grave robbers and gate crashers. The mission of the church is to bring the power of Jesus Christ, not in ourselves, but the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, to people as gate crashers and grave robbers. And we say, by the power of Jesus, he is the way, the truth, the life. If you simply confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, if you follow him into this moment of baptism, yea, God, you can be saved. This is what's at stake, church. And everyone you know has a destination And Jesus cares about everyone that you and I know. Now, here's the other thing we need to just be aware of, is it's so easy to miss the point, isn't it? And and I do this. Life's busy, life's hard, and there are just some days that I need, I just need spiritual comfort food. Any of you like comfort food? How many of you know what comfort food is? Oh, man. Okay, so, so last night, I, and I, I blew my diet last night. Oh, but it was such a glorious, heavenly moment. My mother-in-law's in, ch- in town, so she bought this chocolate cake from the bread basket. Hallelujah. It was fantastic. I ate a piece. She also brought some of this dark chocolate. It's like this brittle, dark chocolate with little slivers of almond and sea salt on it. <laughs> it was great. It was junk food that was delicious. Hear me now. I understand there are moments that you need just something that's comforting in the church. And that's great. But you're more than just those things. The church doesn't simply exist for those those things that sort of tickle our own tongues. The church is for those who need to know Jesus. Because he is the great answer to the problems of the world. And here's the reality. If you and I miss this, if we get this wrong, there's a few things that you'll start to notice in your church. Whenever a church gets the mission wrong, here's a few things. Number one, when we forget our mission, we begin to think that it's more important where we go on Sunday than how we live our lives on Monday. It's more important that we show up at church. It's more important that we come to a class. And those things are great. Please come. But we will exchange living Monday through Saturday for Jesus with attending a church building on Sunday. And that is not the mission. Coming here is simply to say yes and amen, now go and live. But when we forget our mission, we think attendance is more important than how we live. When we forget our mission, we think it's more important that we get worship right than that we treat other people right. Now, don't get me wrong, I think there's important ways of gathering and ideal ways of gathering, don't get me wrong here, but that is secondary to treating one another graciously. How many churches do you know that have split because of getting church worship right? On the other hand, how many churches do you know that have split because everyone was more worried about treating each other right? Doesn't happen. But when we miss our mission... We get our focus wrong. When we forget our mission, when we forget what we're here for, we choose a church based on what we can get from that church than what we can give to that church. It's a consumer. Can I get, can I get, can I get? And Jesus says, no, that's not the heart of what I'm calling you to. When we forget our mission, we prioritize serving the saved rather than saving the lost. Now listen, I want you to know that we are here to bless you, to serve you. That's my job, and it is a privilege but it's so you can go and help save the lost. That's why we're here. And this is such a big deal. I need to show you something, why this is such a big deal, this number right here. As of 2015, according to the latest surveys and population estimates, this was the number in 2015 of the greater Chattanooga area. Over half a million people live in the greater Chattanooga area, and that number has grown by, I believe, 15% since then. And then there's another little number I want you to know because there's some studies that show that while Chattanooga is the most churched city in America, did you you hear that? We are the most churched city in America. 63% of people say they attend church at least once a month. By the way, that's the definition of attendance or churched by most people's views, once a month. But even still, according to surveys, 63% of people say, yeah, I go to church once a month, so they're churched. Even if that number is at all accurate on how many people who are living for Jesus, that means that there are 195,000, 360 souls that if they are in a car wreck today will not see Jesus tonight. That should bother us. That should keep us up at night, family. Jesus says, you are my bride, my body, my temple, my family. Now go. I want a bigger bride, a bigger family. I care for every one of those people. He says, this is a big deal and you say how are we going to do this so big here's the good news did you see the the little phrase there at the end of verse 18 he says if you do this the gates of hell will not overcome my church in other words he promises that if you walk with him he goes as well that you never take one step that Jesus Christ has not already taken in advance of your arrival that the Spirit of God goes throughout the world, John 14 tells us, and is at work in getting people to know Christ. And we show up to explain to them what they need to know. And I, I've been thinking about this all week. I'm so grateful that we are in a church full of grave robbers and, gra- and gate crashers. In fact, this morning, go back to this number. This morning. 1,9360 people. Guess what, church? We now have a new sister in the family of God. Kate is now a child of God. Kind of get an amen on that. And you know what that means? This number is not that number anymore. Is anyone happy about that? And not only that, let's keep going. Last weekend, Lily Floyd gave her life to Jesus while at Winterfest. And so this number let's put this number back up on screen. This number is not this number anymore. It's now one number less. And then on Wednesday, let me back up on Tuesday, there's a guy named Denny. His wife Brenda is sisters to Wendy Henderson. We've been praying for Denny for months. He's had numerous health issues. And it's gotten worse, And then it get better, and then it get worse, get better. And amid all of the health issues, we've prayed not only for his healing, but his spiritual healing, because he was not yet a follower of Jesus. But by the grace of God, there are a couple grave robbers and gate crashers in our church, Dennis and Wendy Henderson, on Tuesday. Got to have a conversation with Denny. And by the grace of God, God spoke into his heart. And what made sense for the first time on Tuesday night said, yes. And so on Wednesday morning, they got Denny out of his wheelchair and they got him into the waters of baptism and he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And so the number, well, that number is not that number anymore, is it, church? And then later that day, we had another baptism. This young lady right here, this is Azalee Lyons, she has been here just a little while, but some of the different people in this picture have played an important role in her life. We have a church full of gate-crashing grave robbers who spoke into her. In fact, she showed up the night, go back one, she showed up the night that Amy Germ became a Christian just a few weeks ago. And then Amy and Laura or sorry, and then Laura Goodrich and all these other folk began to speak into her, and she said, You know what? I'm ready. And so on Wednesday night, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And so that number, well, that's not that number anymore, is it? The Church of Jesus Christ is a mission society. Not a building, a place, or a time on Sunday, but we gather here to say, this is why we are on earth. Now let's go and do, and you say, yeah, how do we do it? Anyone else just kind of go, you, uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, here's how we're going to do it. Are you ready? We're going to pray. Okay. You say, well, that's it? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Do you understand that when you have God on your team, you don't need anyone else? I I was thinking about it growing up. How many of you love that moment when you're going to play a sport and they're picking teams? Anyone else uh, always the last one to be picked? Anyone? uh... All by myself. Okay. You have that moment. And they're picking. They'll pick this one and this one. And this one, and this one. And I remember there was one kid. There's one kid. Oh, my goodness. It didn't matter how they divvied up the teams. If this one guy got on the team, you knew you were going to win. And my goal was to be that guy's best friend right before they pick teams. So he would pick me because it didn't matter how bad I played. So long as I had him on my team, it was going to be a blowout. Hear me now. When we pray, we're going to not a person, but the creator of the universe saying, we need you, God, help us, God, release your power in this place so that your children can go forth in boldness so that this city will grow to a point that we empty out hell in this area. So we're going to pray. And I'm asking you, do not miss the next 30 days. We're going to give you all the tools you need. In here are a couple books written by my cousin, Dave Clayton. This began in Nashville. In fact, 500 churches right now are finishing up their 30 days in Nashville of prayer and fasting. Some of the dates in the packet you'll see are a little off. It's because we chose to start in March for a variety of reasons. But we're a part of something that's already been going on now for over a month. And there are other places around the country that are gathering and doing what we're doing. Do not miss the moment to be a part of what God is doing in this city and in our place and this time. And so as soon as we're done, I'm going to ask you to go grab a packet. Grab two. Commit to pray and to fast for your neighbors that God may do a work today. Not for our glory. but so that all of his children get to come home. I don't know where you are this morning. For some of you here, this is a message that you're going, yeah, I get that. That's, that's the way I live, and praise God for that. For others in here, you just need to be reminded of why you're still on this planet, breathing air, pumping blood. It's not to sit and listen to a short, hairy-faced guy yell at you for 30 minutes to go out and say there's a good God and you can have life in him. And there's some in here this morning, you need the life that we're talking about. And if you were to look at the address On your soul, you know it is not going to heaven. It is not with God. That can change this morning. Please do not leave without, without coming to faith in Jesus Christ. What does it take? It just takes that wonderful rock. I believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, I submit myself to him. By the way, that's why we baptize. Jesus was baptized, but it's also a picture of submission. I'm dying to myself, and I'm coming up in Christ.